Welcome to Innovative Legal Leadership, the podcast where you'll hear from the world's most innovative general counsel and their leadership teams for their insights into the running of a Fortune 500 in-house legal department. The challenges, the wins, the roadblocks, the journey to date, and most importantly, what lies ahead. Let's get into the show. Hello, listeners. In today's episode, you might hear a little bit of extra enthusiasm in my voice. A couple of reasons for that. The first, it's the first time I've been out of Australia, back into New York. So I just landed the day before, and that's after 20 months of lockdown, or feels like certainly 20 months of lockdown with the Australian borders being closed. But I made my way back to New York for this first episode from New York, and uh, which leads me to the second reason you'll hear the enthusiasm in my voice, and that's because I'm speaking to Karen Polak. Now, Karen, what an impressive general counsel and person, actually. So Karen is currently the general counsel and senior vice president and Trans America and has had a super stellar career. Time at PNC, Citigroup, solid foundation at a number of law firms and a really impressive person. Uh, and uh, Karen takes us through her journey. And like my other guests, I know you're going to love it. So in the usual fashion, sit back, chillax and enjoy the Karen Polak episode. Hello, Karen. Welcome to the show. It's fantastic to have you on board. It's just post Thanksgiving, so hopefully you're you're well prepared and you're keen keen to talk. I am indeed, Jim. I'm very grateful to be here. Yeah, grateful for Thanksgiving, and I'm yep. grateful to be here. Yeah, it's funny you talked about that. I did I did a little post on LinkedIn about exactly that. Did that a few days ago. A Thanksgiving post. How important it is to actually be grateful and how sometimes we forget that. And I think it's something, It's a message I hold dear to my own heart. I try to instill it to the people I love, the kids and so forth, because sometimes when you've lost something which you took for granted, that can be really hard. But just that practice of being grateful every day. So um, sounds like you, you're a, a, an advocate too of that practice. I, I am indeed. Gratitude's really one of those words that I think is always at the forefront for me. Yep. Thinking about the things that people are doing for me, the things that I'm grateful for, that I'm privileged to have, and uh, and remembering to say thank you. Yep. Yep. to people for things big and small. Yeah, I remember my wife had a, well, actually does continue to have a great practice. Just just in bed, writing down the four or five things of the day that you're grateful for. I, and sometimes, you know, it slips and so forth. But when you get back to that, I tell you what, that just calms you. It, I think it makes mm-hmm. you sleep easier. It's a real, I'd, I'd recommend that for anyone. Just take a minute, write a few things down. I know it sounds a bit corny. Just write what you're grateful for and then put your head to rest on the pillow. And um, I just, yeah, I think it makes for a great night's sleep and also just a fantastic practice. Yeah, um, it, it makes a big difference. People yeah. say, scientifically speaking, that just doing that yeah, can make alone. you a happier yep. person. Karen. Now, now, Karen, tell us something about the Karen Polak story. How did you, I mean, obviously right now, of course, you're the Senior Vice President, General Counsel at Transamerica. There's no doubt been a journey to get there. We'll talk a little bit about that. But take me right back to the early days. What just, what even got you interested in law in the first place? What were some of those, perhaps those early pivotal moments for you in setting the course for your career? 
Oh, sure. Well, I would say in, in general, the way I think about my career is series of ever expanding circles. Yep. So I went from being a head down, grind out the deals, corporate finance and capital markets associate to yep. an eyes up, soak everything in in-house financial services lawyer. Yep. And, you know, really covering the breadth of banking. So investment banking, brokerage, private banking, and now insurance. And in that time span, I shifted from a 150-year-old top five player operating in 188 countries to a newly top 10 player learning how to be a big bank to a top 10 insurance company undergoing meaningful transformation. So it's really always been about kind of starting in one place and expanding that circle to other areas, other skill sets, other types of companies, other challenges. And is that a kind of a deliberate approach that you've got to, to be expanding kind of those circles and be giving yourself new challenges, making it, you know, I often say comfort is the enemy of growth. Um, yes. And that when you're not pushing yourself, when you're not challenged, when you're not a little afraid and scared and close to no, failure or, you know, that there's a real risk you might not be able to take that next leap. Unless you're actually doing that, it is actually hard to grow. So I'm interested to know whether or not that is a deliberate strategy for you and it's whether it's something you think about. I would say it's very intentional for me. I, yep. First of all, I'm insatiably curious. And so I'm always interested to get to know a new area or a new person or a new, a new skill. And yep. secondly, I really do believe and, and thankfully, actually, one of my mentors believed this too. And, and as a consequence, I, I have had the opportunity, have opportunities that I didn't otherwise, wouldn't otherwise have had. But I really believe that once you've been in a, a seat for a little while, some would say 12 months, some would say five yeah. years, but yeah. once you've been in the seat for a little while, you need to think about, okay, what's next? How do yep. I add to my skill set. And so my pivots, you asked about pivots and my yep. pivots in my career really were about adding tools to my toolbox. Yeah. What's next? How can I learn more? I was a very junior associate in a firm that believed that, you know, once you did one thing that, oh, great. Now I know that you're the yeah. expert in that. I can just let you do that 1700 yeah. times. Yeah. And I realized very quickly that I wasn't then I wasn't expanding my mind, my skill set, my opportunity. And so I shifted to uh, a firm that instead believed quite the opposite. They respected and trusted everybody that they hired from the most junior associate to the most senior partner. And so if you worked on this once, great, you'll figure it out. We'll get you on this other thing. Wow. And I really worked on a whole variety of transactions with a whole variety of people. And uh, once I had been there for quite a while, I realized I might be doing transactions for the rest of my life. Yep. Not sure what I'm what I'm adding then to my purview or to my skill yep. set. So I moved to another firm to add client development because the firm that I was at didn't need to develop more clients. It I was thought, the okay. brand bringing the clients in, was it? It was. So, so, That's exactly yep. right. Okay. And yep. so I thought, okay, let me let me see about um, how I can build my client development muscle, and fairly quickly realized that that wasn't enough outside my comfort zone and got a call about an opportunity with one of the banks that I had actually been loaned to early in my career and <laughs> I had done a lot of work for. And so I was able to explore that and say, well, it's in an area of the law that I don't know very much about at the time was broker dealer law. 
but you know this but it's the right institution it's the right time and this is the time for me to be outside my comfort zone or this is a good opportunity to be outside my comfort zone and the people the person who I went to work for said you know what you're a smart person you'll figure it out and that's all I need is a smart person in the room yep after having been there and in five different roles in seven years because that was the mentor who said you know if you're in a role for 12 to 18 months that's enough I realized, okay, I've, I've been at this enormous, well-seasoned, mature institution and got an opportunity to go to one that had just become a big bank yep. and needed to learn how to be a big bank, yep. needed to learn how to move from manual to automated and how to be in front of the OCC and the Fed. And so took on that that responsibility. And then again, my, my next transition was because I could take on the compliance uh, role, not just as a partner, but as a, uh, as an overseer, as well as to be at a company in a different part of the financial services industry and a company in a different stage of development. So always about those expanding circles and really intentionally trying to step up enough outside my comfort zone to be able to expand. There's quite a lot there I'd love to unpack. I mean, some looking at the, the firms that you have worked with, the law firms, I mean, the, the top brand, the Clifford Chance, Cleary, Gottlieb, Jones Day, okay? And then looking at the banks that you've been talking about, the Citigroup, PNC now, of course, with Transamerica and insurance. So I have to say just your the deliberateness of your approach and the kind of discipline around making sure that you were learning something you regularly and all the time and challenging yourself. And you talked about, I love that your description of insatiably curious. Um, it's something that I look for certainly in, in, in people that are looking to say, join my team. What is that something which is sometimes innate? Can you develop curiosity sometimes? Because it said that I think the natural inclination, our natural inclination is to lean towards comfort and you have to work to lean towards discomfort, being curious about what you don't know. And you sound like you've got it really down pat. And I'm just interested, Did you, is it a natural for you? Did you, was it deliberate because you were kind of steered that way? It was a combination of both? Because I think for those, any, anyone listening, particularly those a bit earlier in their career, I just think it's a fantastic attribute and discipline to develop. Because that's the, you know, that 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 kind of then the skill set that you'll end up developing will will presumably lead to the kind of opportunities that you've had. Well, and I think there are there are a few aspects to it to yeah. bear in mind. So for the for the younger crowd, and even for people who've practiced for decades, yeah. but who like the comfort of the yeah. role that they play, there are opportunities even there. Yeah. So if you're on the younger end of your career. There is a value in depth. I mean, you need yep. to understand yep. a, a, an area in depth in order to be able to then expand to other areas and apply those learnings to other things. So I don't want to suggest that, you know, your job is to ride the wave. Of course. Yeah. And there are certain moments in your life where that's what you need to, to know is the wave tops, yep. but you you have to have enough depth in in, you know, in one or two or more areas to be able to then export that knowledge to, to others. The other thing is if you've been in, in, a, in your spot for 10, 20, 30 years and you really like the comfort of your role, there are the people who 
you know, want to keep their head down and just, and, and this is the thing that I've always done and this is the way I want to do it. That to me is harder and it's hard to develop uh, sort of out of that. Yeah. than a person who's been in that job for 30 years, loves that job, but loves the fact that that role is always changing. Yes. So yep. you might have always practiced in structured finance, yep. but the world around you is changing. And if you're open to appreciating those changes and, and in interpreting and always asking good questions and looking at kind of keeping your eyes up and forward, even though you're very happy in your yeah. space, yep. there's incredible value to that. Yep. So that's the, the sort of third piece of it that I would suggest people have said to me as a, as a leader, people often say like, you can't hire all type A people yeah. who only want to you know, move up, who always want to learn something new, who always yep. want to be doing the next thing. Because if, if your whole team is that, yep. then you, you, you can't get anything done. And it's by the way, anarchy, anarchy and chaos. <laughs> yes, anarchy yeah. and chaos, exactly. Yep. So you need those people yep. who are very comfort, com comfortable in their space, but you want people who are comfortable and still learning. Yep, uh, I agree. So tell me about the transition between law firm practice and the skills you developed there to in-house, what were you well prepared for and perhaps not so well prepared for? And tell me about that. It's one of my favorite transitions. It's something I used to speak about publicly a lot yeah. because I think there are vast differences yes. between law firm and law department practice. And it speaks to one of those differences, speaks to what we were just talking about, the depth of understanding in a particular area. Yeah. In a law firm, you have to get deep yeah. and detailed, and that's your job, yeah. is to learn as deeply as you can in a particular area. And maybe you add more areas, but you need to, to learn that area very deeply. And that's critically important, and it's something that we can't teach in a law department because yeah. we don't have the time. Yeah. We don't have the people. In fact, what we do now sometimes as a professional development opportunity is ask our law firms yeah, to, help. to train our people. Yeah. Hey, you're going to do an, a practice group boot camp on M&A. Can you add these two people to the roster? But one of the great benefits of being in a law department is that it's much more about strategy yeah. and future state than it is about academics and current state. Yep. Yeah. And so most law firms, even the most senior partners, their job is to say, well, this is sort of the state this of play. State. Yep. Here's what I might advise. Yep. But it ultimately, the company has to own it. Yeah. And in fact, that's what I say to my, my colleagues all the time. You, you know, we need to own the opinion and advice that we give. So you can listen to what the law firm has to say. You can debate that. You, you can come to a good uh, a good space where hopefully there's mutual agreement, but ultimately we have to be the ones to apply it practically and uh, with a future state in mind. Yep. And that future state, the looking over the horizon, which is you know certainly in your position in any senior legal leadership position, being able to look over the horizon. Tell me about how well prepared you think you were for that coming from a law firm, or is that a very different skill that you had to develop and work on? Or is it a combination of both, a bit of intuition? And t Tell me about that. I think it's a little bit of a combination of both, yep. but that is maybe the most stark difference. Difference, yep. And, and is something that some people have, some people are better at than others. Yeah. 
I do still think you can learn it. Yeah. That's something that I wonder how in this in virtual environment we will continue to teach it because yeah. even if you're in a law firm, the way that you learn that kind of skill, the sort of practical application, the strategic thinking, what's the precedent, what's that going to look like five years down the line or 10 years down the line is by sitting with a partner. Yeah. And hearing the conversation or yep. participating in the conversation. Yep. Same thing in a law department. You're, the way you learn that really is by observing. Yeah. If you sit in a working group meeting and you hear the kinds of questions that are going on or the history that someone is telling or the, the, the experience or the challenges that someone is describing, that's how you learn to think about the different aspects of something and to think about how that might play out going forward. So I think some people are better at it than others. Some people are more practical than others. And and some people really prefer the academic. Yep. I, I just want to tell you what the rules are. Yeah. You it's go a, figure yeah, out how to implement yep, it. Yeah. You touched on that challenge of how are we going to kind of, how are we going to continue developing or help others develop that skill in the Certainly in the new environment we've all been working on in the past 18 plus months. I have to say, I've, I've been back in an office environment only in the last week or so. And a few things from my personal perspective. I, I, I certainly, I knew I missed it. I now know how much I really missed it. The energy level, the rapport, rebuilding or building and rebuilding the, the the reconnecting and the learning just literally and I can tell you it's been three or four days and it is exponentially better and I don't know how politically correct saying this is but it just is it, it, it has been and you have to we're different personality types I just happen to be one that I think I, I just get more energy and hopefully give more energy when I'm in person and I absorb a lot better I think it is a real challenge for us and I suppose, Karen, people like yourself in the position that you're in and your organisations making decisions about how we are going to work in the future. I'd love to get your thoughts on that and what you think, well, the challenges and how you're thinking about overcoming some of the challenges. Yeah, it's one of the things that I observed even early on in the pandemic that is the thing that's the hardest to replace virtually. Yeah which is the informal contacts and connections. Yeah. Yeah. It's the hallway conversation. It's the before the meeting and after the meeting. It's the, you know, oh, I happen to run across this person in the pantry. And now that makes me think, hey, I wonder, do you know that this thing is going on over there or this person is working on this other thing? Or I just, well, you know, this has been swirling through my head. How do you feel about it? That's very hard to replicate mm. online. Mm. It's very hard to replicate even intentionally to you know, say, hey, let me take 15 minutes of someone's time just to catch up, it's hard to replicate those moments. And we still don't have the perfect solution for that. Yeah. We had a what we call a, a distributed workforce even before the pandemic. We yep. have employees all across the, the nation in, in pockets for sure, but still there were almost always, it was almost always the case that your team, whatever conversation you were having, you were having with some people who were in person and some people who weren't. But even there, I mean, the, the way in which people interacted, I agree with you, there, often, there was, there, there's just more energy, there, there's more production, there's things that happen that you can't replicate 
just by being virtual. Yeah, it's funny. It's only a couple of days ago. I was on a virtual a meeting call where we had a customer and one of my team there um, with the customer in person. Fantastic call, went for about 45 minutes, learnt a lot. The most important part and learning was not on the call, it was when I caught up with my colleague afterwards and he told me, well, guess what I just learned in the passageway leaving <laughs> from yes. the conference room to the car park in the yes. literally in the in the 20 seconds or so, here is what I was told, here's what I learned. Okay. Yes, it makes a huge difference. And so again, I would say even pre-pandemic, we had that challenge, right? Yep. I had people who, yep. well, if you're not in if you're not in the Baltimore office and yep. passing the CEO, no, you're not going to have that experience. Yeah. Or if we can't all be together, and, and I recognize how frustrating travel can be. So yep. we had that challenge before, but you all, but you didn't have it all the, the time. time. Yeah, You always, almost always had colleagues around you, even our folks who were largely remote, yep. would from time to time, time be yep. in the office. So I think when you, when you think about future of work, first of all, I don't think it's 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 binary. I don't think it's going to be no. either or. No. We're going to have to replicate. We're going to have to try different things. Yeah. And we're going to have to intentionally choose to do yep. different things. Uh, uh, like, yep. you know, on one day when you're in the office, yes, maybe the one of the days that you're in the office, if you're in the office, whether you're hybrid or always in the office, should be a day when many of your colleagues are around or when the meetings that you have, you can have in person. But one of those days should be a day when you don't have yep. team meetings and you don't have meetings stacked up on your calendar yep. because you shouldn't no come point. to the office yeah. just to sit in your office. Yep. Yep. But if you can schedule at least a few, you know, some of your time while you're in the office just to walk the hallways or just to be around and cause those informal connections to happen, yeah. I think that will make a big difference. Yeah. I think the way you described it is right. You have to be, it has to be intentional. It can't be entirely random, but almost like intentionally random in the sense that you're you're creating, you're, it's intentional to create those kind of moments where you are getting those valuable insights, whether it's personal, professional, rapport building, company strategy, whatever it might be, I think you have to be intentional about creating those kind of moments. Yeah, I think that's absolutely. Karen, you joined Transamerica late 2019, Senior Vice President, General Counsel. Tell me why, why did they choose Karen? How did the opportunity come up? And I'd love to learn, why did you stand out from the crowd? To be, to be chosen for that position. I like this question a lot because I guess people kind of reflect on why me and, but t tell me, what can you share about that? Well, in some ways, the development of that role was a curious one at Transamerica. Yeah. Over the course of the last five years, Transamerica has been undergoing quite a transformation. And by that, I, I mean, primarily, it was a company like many other financial conglomerates yep. made up of a variety of smaller companies and it undertook starting around 2016 to try and consolidate those. So it spent a couple of years really trying to bring the company together and think about the, the company as one entity. And in doing so, the company chose to take someone who was a lawyer within the department, that person became the general counsel, then that person added more and more responsibilities such that that person's job got pretty big. Yep. Ultimately, we gave them the title of COO. Yep. 
So that person was the general counsel plus, 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 plus. Yeah. And recognized that, of course, not just for privilege reasons, but also for focus reasons, yep. it would be better to just have someone who was the right. general counsel. Yep. So they hired someone. That person didn't work out for a whole a variety of reasons that I, I don't know because I yep. wasn't there. So it's all hearsay. Yep. But that person didn't work out. So they went out to the market to look again. And I think what they were looking for was someone who has experience in trying to bring people together and get people to work consistency, consist, consistently, <laughs> collaboratively, yep. most importantly, and really with one company in mind. Yep. So how do we work together regardless of, as you were talking about before, where you sit in the org chart, before wherever it is that you sit in the org chart, making sure that people are really working together. And yep. that's something that, that had really been my stock and trade, if you will, yep. in my prior roles. When I my, the very first general counsel role that I took was to bring together the teams across the globe who had been working in silos, very much so, and to really bring them together to work as one team. And then, in essence, doing the same thing in my, in my next job. So I think that was attractive. I think understanding financial services yep. and the role of a financial services company, you know, we're an insurance company, but we're also a broker dealer, an insurance, an investment advisor. We have a fund business, we have a retirement business. So having seen many of those businesses across the course of my career, I think was attractive also to yep. the company. So I, I'm going to call out the, because I, I think it's a marvelous skills development to have and to be able to showcase because it's a standout skill. And that is the one where you've demonstrated being able to bring people and teams together who might have, uh, for whatever reason, might uh, that they might have been formed in a siloed way, whether it's because of acquisitions or just the way that the organization has come together and it happens it, it, you know it happens absent acquisitions too you just that sometimes naturally we end up gravitating towards a siloed approach and everybody knows ultimately that is not that is not the most productive and conducive to to a strong to strong performing organizations so being able to demonstrate skills around bringing people and teams together i would call out that would pro certainly if i'm a ceo and I'm looking at an organisation that has been built, put together, let's say, from M&A, that's what I would be looking for in my leadership team. Who can bring people together? Who has demonstrated, at least in the past, or, or the capacity to be able to do that in my organisation? Because that that's not about being a black letter lawyer. Right. That, that is about people and, and being able to connect, understand what drives, motivates, and, and being able to bring all of that together, easy to say, really hard to do. I think that's right. And you have to build trust yes. too. People have to recognize uh, trust and respect, I would say. You have yep. to build trust. People have to trust that you have their back, that you're not just taking things away from them, yep. but that you're also adding something to their portfolio if you're asking them to do something different than they were doing yesterday. Yep. And I think you they have to recognize that you respect them. You have to recognize the skill sets. You 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 alluded to it, the skill sets that each different each person brings to the table. Everyone's bringing different skill sets to the table. How do you acknowledge those skill sets and then 
be explicit about why you're bringing those different skill sets so, together yep. and what they're each bringing to the table. Yep. That kind of leads me to the next question I want to ask and talk about your approach in relation to developing performance, talent, people, motivating teams. What what are some of the what are some of the strategies you use? What 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 is it that you look for or look to achieve in putting together and developing a high performance collaborative team? I might say three things, Jim. Yeah. One is listening. So oh. really listening to people. Yeah. That's one of those ones I really say, easy to say, hard to do. How many <laughs> of us really do listen? I think I mentioned this a few weeks ago speaking. We're usually thinking about the next thing we want to say <laughs> rather than That's listening right. to what's been, what, what, you know, to, to who we're speaking to and really understanding where they're coming from. That's right. And so you need to listen to people and and, and understand what, as you said before, what motivates them, what do they want? What are they trying to achieve? Mm. Yeah. And how can you help to support yeah. that? Yeah. The second thing is context. Yeah. So much about professional development, in my view, is context, is providing context to people. The more that people understand yeah. about all the other elements of what it is they're doing, what are the impacts, what are the who are the different stakeholders, what are the, the different consequences? You know, how does the, what happens before this person's input is provided? What happens after? Even in, the, in insurance, actually, this is one of the areas that I have found the most fascinating and the most surprising to me about insurance, because I would have thought it's really plain vanilla, right? Yeah. Insurance is actually incredibly complex and layered. And so much of it is what's the financial input What's the actuarial input? So how, what's the science yep. behind yep. what we're doing? Then all the basics, you know, sales, marketing, distribution. But th there's even different layers in, in the financials. For us, just by virtue of the nature of the company that we are, we, we report in three different ways, cash flow, statutory, and um, IFRS. No one ma It doesn't matter. Those yep. don't matter. Except in the, in the sense that if you don't understand that... The decision that you're making over here in a litigation matter or the decision that you're making over here in terms of when a particular product can get issued has implications of, on all those other layers, then you're not going to make as good judgments yeah. as you might otherwise. You're not going to communicate as well as you might otherwise, or you will miss some of the stakeholders that you need to communicate with. So for me, context, I think, is that second most important yep piece of professional development. And then yep. the third thing is intentionality. Let's go back yep. to a word that we used before, being yep. intentional. Yep. I just think we need to think about, okay, this person, yeah. we want this person to advance or this person has yeah. learned as much as they're going to learn in this role. They need to get to the next role. Now let's be intentional about how we do that. And yep. we need to have that conversation, but let's be intentional about the steps how can we help to support that? What skill sets does this person need? And therefore, what experiences can we give them for them to develop that skill set? So, so but Karen, you were going to say, Jim, yeah, well, a, no, a I, point I, that you love. Yeah, well, firstly, I love that framework because it's a fantastic, you know, and if you're listening, context, intentionality. 
Okay. It is a fantastic framework. I mean, my favorite, I think, in that is context because the context bit, because I just had some experience with it recently, context often we fall into the habit of assuming what is in our head and what we know, the team and who you're speaking to know. Okay. So when you read or listen or hear something, you've got all of that context, all of those assumptions through which to filter what you've heard or said. Okay. Really being clear that people, other people don't and that you have to provide that context for them so, so they can filter in a similar way or at least filter with the same information. I, again, just really thinking about that, over-communicating on that. I always say there's no such thing as over-communication. Um, so that's why, I, and again, I just had it a couple of days ago because I just assumed that someone I was speaking to had the same context that I had. They, But of course they didn't. They haven't had the but same experience. They? They're yeah. a different person. Yeah, it, it, exactly right. So I, so I think it is a fantastic framework, and I, I think I've called out the context one because it, it's kind of very sharp and fresh in my mind from a conversation I only had a couple of days ago. So um, that's fantastic. We'll touch on a couple more topics before finishing off. Talk a little bit about diversity and inclusion, the importance to you personally, and I, I know some of the initiatives at, at Trans America that in the legal team that um, that you've been focusing on. Well, it's, it's, um, it's a topic that uh, I do, I spend a lot of my time on because I strongly believe that if we don't lift up and include yeah. all of the different voices that we can have in a conversation, and that if we don't include people who might, whose voices might not be heard, then we're not going to get to the best place that we can possibly get to. If if we're only having around the table people who look like us, speak like us, who have the same backgrounds, who make the same assumptions, we're going to come to the same decision. <laughs> yeah. And that's probably the worst place that we that's can right. be. Chances are they'll think like us too and they'll yes, exactly. make the same decisions. Absolutely and chances right. are they'll make the same mistakes. Yep. Yep. Now, there's something to be said for failure, yeah. but you know, let's try and set ourselves up for, for success. success. And yep. I think... It, so it's both a it, it's both a, a a tactical sort of professional perspective and a global perspective. I think just globally, if you think about all the people who we've left behind by our assumptions, by our structures, yeah. by our practices, just think about the power of the world if those people were mobilized yeah. to actually you know be able to operate on a level playing field. And similarly at work, most importantly at work, where I, I just feel like at work and in our communities, if we can have a diversity of perspectives around the table, the likelihood is that that context is going to be prettier, that mosaic is going to be prettier, yeah. and we're going to get to a better place at the end of the day. And so it's just critically important to me in terms of, again, how do I get to the right result? How yeah. do I get to good answers? I can't really do that good, fulsome answers without uh, a diversity of perspectives in the room. Yeah, not, not only the right thing to be doing and thinking about, but actually what will end up achieving the best outcomes. Exactly um, right. Yeah. Tell me, Karen, what's the hardest thing you've ever done that you're prepared to share with us? <laughs> That's such a good question. I feel deficient. I was watching last night uh, 14 Peaks. Yep. Yep. So, uh, <laughs> about the guy who decided, no, no, I know the, the world record for hitting the 14 highest peaks in, in the world 
uh, is seven years. I'm going to do it in seven months. So that's not me. <laughs> yeah, thank God you've said that. You what you list us, <laughs> yep. but that's not me. Yep. And I don't have any good stories like that to be able yep. to say, hey, I, you know, I did the, I did the uh, a hundred mile race, or I did something like that that was incredibly just unfathomable yeah. uh, to to most people. I would say maybe the hardest thing I've done, or at least the scariest thing I've done, certainly professionally, was actually the first general counsel role that I took. Yep. I remember New Year's Eve, 2004, I had been at this, my first in-house position was as mini-me to the then general counsel of Smith Barney, which was two businesses. Yep. And in the fall of that year, the private bank had gotten kicked out of Japan for doing uh, terrible things, apparently, regulatorily, yep. and for being siloed. And so he, my boss became uh, the general counsel of this new uh, thing called Global Wealth Management, which included the two businesses he had plus the private bank. And a couple of months later, on New Year's Eve in 2004, wow. he asked me to be the general counsel for the private bank. He needed someone to step into that role. And I was someone that he trusted. And I said, but I've never been a general counsel. And certainly that was an aspiration, but yeah. it, but it, I wasn't sure that I could take that on. Yeah. And and he said, just like he did when I first came in-house, you're a smart, smart. person, you'll figure you're it out. You're smart, you'll figure it out. <laughs> My favourite line, uh, I, I have to say, when you say to someone and then they step up and they inevitably, the smart people that, that are resilient and that are ambitious, they do. They figure yeah, it out. Yeah, and you have to be resilient. It's absolutely yeah. right. But I remember yeah. those five hours between the time that he asked me and the time I sat down with my husband at dinner for New Year's Eve, <laughs> and I said, you won't believe this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Funny thing happened been... to me this evening, <laughs> sweetheart. Funny thing happened on the way to my dinner. Yeah, that's right. I was offered the job of a lifetime, and I said to my husband, I, I can't take it. I was offered the job of a lifetime, and I can't take it. And, of yeah. course, my husband said, of course what are you can. crazy? Yeah. Of course you're going to take it. Yeah. Now let's talk about how. Now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. I love those stories too. And I love it when, when the initial reaction is, of course, I can't do it, even though it's on, it was on the career path and it might have been, you, you might have planned it two or three years down the track and someone else says to you, and usually it's your life partner, and that's the best they say to you, of course, you're going to take it. That's and then you go, right. okay, now let's work out how. I love that story. Um, <laughs> tell me, anything that keeps you up awake at night now, Karen? I think the thing that worries me the most right now is yeah. that we will have lost an enormous amount of ground in diversity and inclusion wow. and in development, sort of in the way that we think about people as we come back, as we as we move into whatever the future of work yeah. will be. And the reason that I focus on diversity and inclusion is not because that's something that's you know always top of mind for me, but because I think the dynamics that we were talking about earlier as to presence and who thrives in an office environment, who thrives in a virtual environment. How can you make sure that people are are stepping out of their comfort zone from time to time so that yep. they can stretch and grow, yep. even if that's not all day, every day? Yep. How do you make sure that you we don't end up in a place where the people who choose not to be pre physically present, present yeah. are, the one, are being are the disadvantaged? Ones who are not heard. Yeah, yeah. We worried about that before the pandemic, and I think we're yeah. going to continue. But I, but I worry that we've decided 
that virtual is okay and so we'll just live with it yeah. as opposed to being intentional and finding ways to yeah. to make a different result happen yeah finally karen advice that you'd give to your 25 year old self keep your eyes up and forward looking yeah I think when I was 25, like most, you know, yeah. newly newly law school graduate or That's newly right. college graduate people, I had my head down, working as hard as I could. Yeah. That was what I was focused on. And it took me five, six, seven years, more years to to realize that it's a, it was about the people around me. Those were the people I was going to learn the most from. Yep. And that I needed to stay connected to. And so the people who, those circles that I've built over the course of my career over the course of my life are the things that are most important to me. Those yeah. are the people that are most important to me. And I have people who I met early, early days, you know, in, in my career who I'm still in touch with. Those are the people, those are foundational people. Yeah. Those are the people who call you up and say, Hey, you should, you know, apply for this job or I heard about this thing or I'd love you to get involved in this nonprofit or whatever it might be. And, and I think, Keep your eyes up and forward-looking. Yeah, I, I love that because it is such a natural, sorry, it's an unnatural part thing to do after you spent so much time, you know, studying, doing well, getting into law school, making sure you get through by its nature and then getting into um, a top-tier law firm and working as hard as you can. All of those things by their nature have you head down, burrowed in the detail, but uh, I love that um, head up, eyes open, looking forward. I think that's a great bit of advice. And on that note, Karen, I'm going to thank you for a marvellous episode. I've really had a fantastic time speaking with you. No, thank you, Jim. It's been a great time. Thank you. Fantastic. Bye-bye for now. Thank you, listeners, for tuning into the show. For more please subscribe to the show in your favourite podcast player. If you or someone you know would make a great guest on the show, please connect with me, Jim, the host of the show, via email, jim at pursuit, P-E-R-S-U-I-T dot com. We'd love to hear from you.